Hi, everyone. Welcome to What's Your Why, a podcast that showcases the greatness of people through their life stories. Each episode will capture insight into the lives of people just like you and I, with the intention to connect, align, and create inspiration for and with our listeners. Stay with us through our What's and Why segment, where we dive into our guest perspective with some thought-provoking questions that just might be right up your alley. I'm your host, Helen Dillon, and thanks for joining us. Now let's get into it. Thank you so much for joining me today, Jeff. We're here with Jeff Morgenstern from Perfect Products. Would you please introduce yourself to everybody? I'm Jeff Morgenstern, and I'm uh, the CEO of Perfect Products. And I'm really excited to be here uh, and think through a little bit about how I got to where I am and, and maybe try to relate some of it to you. Absolutely. So I'm interested to hear... I know that uh, Perfect Products started in 2006 and was sort of a personal brainchild of yours. What did you do previous to this? Did it meld together or were you like an accountant? You know, ironically, and I'm probably one of the older interviews you are going to have at 78 <laughs> years old, but my life, as I thought through it for this interview, probably was an amalgamation of careers. My 60s in college and into the early 70s was spent as a jazz musician. Amazing. And uh, traveled on the road and got a chance to, to play music in a lot of great places with a lot of great fellow musicians. During that time, uh, my second year of college, because I was one of those suburban kids that always wanted a horse, I took some money and uh, bought a $150 sale horse. Yes, back then you could buy a horse for $150. Right, that's not the case anymore. <laughs> no, that could walk, trot, and canter, and you could enjoy. So I spent the, you know, my my 60s. I would say probably as a musician. Later into the 60s, I did teach school for a couple of years, which was a great experience. Oh yeah, like elementary or high school. I was actually a social studies and English teacher in junior high and high school. Uh, so grades eight through 12. And I enjoyed that for the moment I did it. And then subsequently went on the road, played music. And at one point decided that that probably wasn't going to be a great career to raise a family, which I was beginning to accumulate. And at that point, chance to, to interview for a medical sales job. And in 82, I became a surgical sales rep. I spent about 30 years doing that, and what I would call a successful career that I enjoyed most of the time. And subsequent to that, when I saw retirement coming at 62 or 63, I had an opportunity to partner up with a good friend of mine and I always try to associate myself with people who are smarter, more talented than I. Yes. And we released together a product called Hyaluronics. And Hyaluronics, I don't know if you know what that product is, but it, it's a hyaluronic acid gel. At that time, it was an equine product that was quite efficient at helping horses that were chronically needing in joint injections. And I worked with him. I'm going to say in 2004, five, maybe into 2006, uh, to create and release and market that product. 
And that's how I found my way into perfect products. So I was um, privy to a number of very uh, successful hunter jumper people who were using hyaluronics. Mm -hmm. And one of them suggested to me that what the industry really needed was a means of managing over exuberant horses, let's say, yeah, uh, in, yeah. In, a, in a horse show situation. And being a horseman myself, because through all of my careers, I always trained and showed horses. I was able to think through and formulate the ingredients that would actually help that horse perform better in a show situation and my interest in the skills and researching skills. But what you have to remember is that we're talking about something that happened way before the internet was so prominent. And we're sitting here now where we could actually research almost anything we want uh, just with the tip of a finger. So in 2005, it was a little trickier to get the information we needed and I had access to some some of that information. And I would say it was a matter of timing and luck, uh, a coming together of the right people. And here we sit in 2022 with a company that uh, has become, you know, a large footprint in a highly specialized industry. Yeah. Did you ever feel like you were in limbo? I mean, I'm sure the answer is yes, because everybody feels like that in life. But in making the transition through, I guess, the the different seasons or stages of your life, you know, going from being a musician to then a school teacher, which in my mind doesn't seem to relate, although maybe it does. And then from making another transition into pharmaceuticals. And then ultimately, when you were working with Hyaluronics, doing all of the things, you know, the sales, the marketing, the everything, like wearing multiple hats and then continuing to do that. Did you ever find yourself in limbo through any of those stages? And how did you orchestrate yourself there? You know, as I look back, I honestly don't remember a bad moment. There were frustrating moments, but they seemed to really transition because I did more than one thing at a time. When I was a surgical sales guy, I also played music a few nights a week. And then uh, while I was moving away from my medical career, if, if you would, I was working on hyaluronics. And at some point I decided to retire from the, from the sales job and move, you know, move completely, you know, at 63 uh, into the equine nutraceutical business. But, you know, it really forced me to think about how all these things, you know, benefited and impacted me. I really had a great experience in marketing when I was in the medical business because we were releasing instrumentation for new procedures. Um, you've heard of laparoscopies, I'm sure. Yes. Mm -hmm. Well, back when I started in the medical business, there was no laparoscopy. Laparoscopy became, you know, a standard of practice. You know, I'm going to say probably. Uh, in the late 70s and 80s, and we were devising and selling instrumentation that was uh, usable in laparoscopy. So 
we learned how to educate, you know, research and educate surgeons and uh, show them the value of the instrumentation. And lo and behold, uh, you know, you walk into the hospital eight months later, and now a surgeon who couldn't spell laparoscopy is now doing uh, 20 a week. So that's how quickly that's advanced. Well, that's no different than going to a great hunter rider or a, or a Grand Prix rider and saying, you're doing a great job. Um, you've got great horses. You know, maybe we can help you make this horse a little better and then buying in. So I, I, I think that there's probably that transition. I read that your background is in Western pleasure horses. Is that correct? Well, the family started out, yes, in the it's quarter so horse, diverse. in the quarter horse business, and uh, uh, this is a truly a family enterprise. In that, luckily for me, while I was involved in um, the western side, my wife of now thirty nine years. Congratulations. Well, well, I'm a lucky guy. <laughs> there you go. I have a wife who has a great sense of humor, but Perfect. she was very interested in the hunters. Okay. And as I developed Perfect Prep, she had landed at Mindy Darst's barn, and Mindy Darst is a well-known name in the hunter jumper industry, and was a treasure of a of a person. I mean, just unbelievable woman. Phenomenal woman. And uh, it's funny because early in my starting out in, in the horse business, when I moved to Cincinnati, I sold Mindy a few ponies that went on to be pretty successful. And so I knew her from one side, but then Renee uh, started riding there and uh, taking lessons and then bought a few hunters and, and that she enjoyed quite a bit. So, you know, Mindy was a great test site for me. I could take... Uh, products that I knew worked in the Western horses over and, and she would try them on her hunters and she would say, you know, this horse feels better. He's you know, performing better. She would give me really good feedback on it. It was funny as perfect products and perfect prep grew in the industry. One day she told me, she said, you know, you're like Coca-Cola. You've become a verb <laughs> in the industry. And I didn't understand what that meant, but um, it's quite a compliment. It was, and it was quite an observation, you know? <laughs> yeah. I, I had never really thought of it in those terms. Yeah. So, yes, we are in the quarter horse business. I have four out in my barn that I went out and fed this morning, and I'm going to go ride uh, later today, and that we just got back from a horse show with some of them. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, my wife has a horse at a wonderful hunter-jumper barn with people who had actually one of them actually rode with Mindy, you know, as a kid. Oh, amazing. And then my daughters, as I said at the beginning, uh, is in uh, Oklahoma getting ready to show the NRHA Derby. She's got three Rainers out there that she's going to show. Wow. So we're kind of a, a diverse family with, with real sincere interests in good horses. Yeah. Uh, yeah. High-level performance. That's kind of what our interest is. Well, and I'm sure it gives you great insight into each discipline differently. It never ceases to amaze me that, you know, equestrianism is a sport, but each discipline is so different from the next. So I'm sure it gives you really 
really good intel in what each discipline needs from their horses at any given time and then how your company can fit into that. Yes. And the thing that you understand, though, is that, for example, collection is a requisite. Talking about horsemanship Mm -hmm. is a requisite. And something else, one of the things that I found is that horsemen, more now than, than before, are appreciating the importance of longevity mm-hmm. of the horse. When a great dressage rider, when, when uh, Stefan or when Adrian Lyle or one of those great dressage riders loses a partner, it's a big loss. And it's, it often takes years to recover and build another one. And therefore, the things that we're able to do for those horses help them sweat, you know, help them recover, uh, manage pain and discomfort, offer optimum muscle function. It becomes key in almost every discipline. Fun for me now is when I get a call from one of the top five Grand Prix jumpers who's getting ready to take horses to Europe and says, I need your immune product because it helps my horses stay fresh when they fly. I need your muscle product. I need, you know, and and ship that to me, please, before I leave for Europe. Here I am, kind of a nobody from the uh, Western marketplace, and suddenly we've been able to provide something for the industry that's improved uh, those horses' performance. It's, It's extremely enjoyable for me to see that happen. I read somewhere that you wanted to manage your family show horses mentally and physically. And that it resonated with me because I just I don't know and correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm not sure that a horse's mental well-being is always the first and foremost conversation that people have or the first and foremost idea that they have in their mind. It's more about physical and performance. I guess I just wanted to speak around that a little bit. What kind of mental impact does competitions and um, performing have on horses? And then if we could speak to how do your products help with that? Well, first of all, we use the word stress in relationship to horses. And what I've come to understand is that stress to me is whether or not I can pay my income tax at the end of the year. Stress to a horse is whether or not you've changed his neighbor in his stall whether or not he's anticipating feed at seven o'clock in the morning and you don't show up until eight, right? Mm-hmm. So understanding the stress points of a horse has really helped me bring some some real benefits to the to the market. I'll give you an example. The horse, all mammals respond through the vagal nerve pathway. And that is for those of you who haven't been bored by <laughs> looking at the vagal nerve pathway. It's a pathway of of neurofunction that communicates directly from the stomach to the brain, if you would. And you've said to people, I have a bad feeling in my gut about that guy, or right? I mean, you have what they call a gut feeling. Well, Mm -hmm. that's real. And, you know, the more advanced, probably in the mammal, uh, the more manageable that gut feeling is. But you take a horse, I'll give you a good example. I had a rider that had great Grand Prix horse. And as that horse developed, she literally had to be boosted into the saddle once the horse entered the ring because you almost couldn't get that horse into the ring. Now, once he was in the ring, 
she was able to manage uh, that horse and, and win a lot of big events. She helped me understand the benefit of a particular GI product we make because she start, tried it on that horse for me, and suddenly she could ride that horse into the ring. Mm-hmm. What we had done was we had found that trigger point that created that level of stress. We call it gastric tension. And that horse couldn't get a, he couldn't get on top of it, right? He knew his job, but he, but there was adrenaline or whatever was exacerbated and that horse couldn't get on top of it. And if you manage that particular element, then you, you help solve the problem. I'll give you another example. Mm-hmm. If, and I assume you ride. Yes, yes. And not anymore because I don't really have that capacity, but yes, I did growing up and yeah. So riding, if you've ridden a horse, and I, I'm, I'm talking anecdotally because I don't myself ride jumpers, but I know that after the third jump, that horse is beginning to feel some pain in his feet, no matter how well prepared that footing is and no matter how well prepared. And he anticipates that. And if you can do something to mitigate that pain, suddenly the big jumps, the rollbacks, you know, the extra second you need or half second you need to be the winner uh, becomes more available to you if you can mitigate that pain. So those are the kind of projects we've undertaken. And those are the kind of products that we begin to, you know, we've begun to supply to the market over the last uh, 12 or 15 years. So it's more than just the term calming products. Mm-hmm. There's all sorts of triggers for anxiety. And the, and the great horse trainer has figured that particular horse's triggers out and manages everything up to the moment he walks into the ring. And from then on, it's game on for three minutes or whatever time you're in yep. the ring. Do you rely on a team of industry experts, you know, athletes, hunters, jumpers, different types of, at different levels to give you the, this kind of product would really help us? Or what's that process like? Do you go to competitions? Do you watch a lot? Do you think to yourself, I think this is the type of product that's going to help in this situation? How does that work? I think it's a combination of, you know, when we started, we didn't have the access to the market that we have now. So when we started with our calming products, everybody needed calming products. Right. Well, thoroughbreds were big then, right? Well, you know, it's funny. Thoroughbreds, <laughs> the right thoroughbred lasted forever. Yes. It's like warm bloods that, that tend <laughs> not to have quite a long life. Yeah. A show life. The calming products were something that people needed. And what, what I did there it was on me. Uh, it's one of the few things I'll take credit for. I was always frustrated with having to use two or three syringes of something to get uh, the effect I wanted. So what I decided to do was put enough in one syringe to get the effect I wanted and charge a fair price for it. Mm-hmm. And that's really stood us in, in a great position in the market because I can remember Pablo Barrios, who was a, quite a great gentleman and a, and a, a great horseman said to me, he said, the thing about when you bring a product to me, everything you make works, just like you say it will. And that was a great lesson to me. And so every once in a while, I'd bring Pablo something that I thought might work and try to get his, well, now I can go to 
say, Stefan and Shannon Peters, or I can go to Ian Miller, or because we've gained the trust, these writers are willing to try products that I think might work and might help. Mm -hmm. But in reply to your question, I think a lot of it is I become aware of new technology, okay, new concepts of human. You know, humans are great reporters. So if I give a nutraceutical to a human being and they say, well, my knees felt so much better mm -hmm. uh, after that, then you have good information. Well, nutraceutical research is you can get online and see all the nutraceutical research about which ingredients really provide the kind of relief that you're looking for, the kind of response that you're looking for. Once you have that information, then you extrapolate it to a level that the horse responds to, then you get the benefit that, you know, that you're looking for. One of my concerns always is that we're concerned with being ethical. Yeah. So we never ask a rider to even try anything that is suspect, uh, you know, mm -hmm. on any prohibited substance list. Our products are, are always within the boundaries of being ethical. And that, that's really been a key to the, I think, the, the fact that the industry trusts us so much. Has there been a lot of ups and downs or has it been sort of fresh out the gate, go, 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 never a downtime? Or have you felt a lot of undulations throughout the development? Well, since 2006, I suppose. The trajectory has been straight up. 2008 when the crash. But I'll tell you why. It's because the industry that we're most active in is an industry that is somewhat, if you would, recession-proof mm -hmm. uh, or not as sensitive to the ups and downs of the economy. We're a very small player in the overall equine nutraceutical market, but we feel that we have a big footprint in that high-level performance uh, market. And that's Certainly. where we enjoy being. Yeah. So that's kind of where we stayed. So in answer, I remember when we were talking about what the minimum we could make and keep the company going in yeah. 2005 and six, And now in 2022, you know, we're obviously far, far over that and enjoying continual growth. Introducing new products has been a big part of it, I think new technologies. I now have a suppository okay. that is useful. Uh, we have two of them. We have a suppository we call Flexin that uh, is highly effective at conferring the benefits of uh, chondroitin, glucosamine, and NHA, similar, say, to what you would see from Adequan and Legend, mm -hmm. but using the colon blood supply which is very effective at dispersing the ingredients. Uh, and we also have one now that is a, a pain reliever we call Equablock. You know, it was an idea I had two years ago that we were able to uh, find a manufacturer for. It's enjoyed great acceptance. It's a little hard to go to a, to a rider and say, hey, I've got a great idea. Right. <laughs> but once you get somebody to try it, yeah, they really see the benefit and ease of administration. And then my whole point is that our intent is to keep growing, keep innovating, and uh, you know try to supply the industry with better and better products. Uh, we we certainly don't rest on our laurels. Right, right. 
what would you say is the best business decision you've made in order to grow for the last X amount of years? That's actually a two-part question because my next question is going to be, what advice would you give to your younger you? It's the people. What I've always done as far as business goes, and, and I learned this through a couple of people I would consider mentors, you know, you just pick somebody that's smarter than you are, and more capable than you are, and then you, you give them a job to do and you stand back and, and let them do it. But, you know, it's hard to decide what the best decision, business decision I've made was. I will point out to you that the entrepreneur who maintains singular control over his business is always in a position to be true to himself. He has nobody else to answer to. And all he really has to do is take really good care of those people who, if you would, work for him or work with him in the business. I've never taken on a, you know, I had one partnership and it worked moderately well, okay? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And subsequent to that, all offers I've had of, and you know, our business has been appealing to people who, who wanted to buy it. Mm -hmm. I've always rejected that. I've always stayed a singular owner manager. And now my daughter, who is my COO, mm -hmm. is truly a partner. But because she's my daughter, I can still send her to her room. Absolutely. <laughs> so I still have some control over the decisions we make. And what that allows you to do, it allows you to stay true to yourself. We don't take the cheap way. We maintain quality, we maintain integrity, and we always speak the truth in all of our marketing. So that's yeah. my answer, I guess, is that's the best business decision I've made. So then what advice would you give to a younger you? Well, you know, what I did was I rode a lot of really fortunate coincidences or, you know, chances. What is the likelihood that my best friend at the time and I would start Hyaluronics? You know, what is the possibility that I would be at a barn where a great Grand Prix rider said, if you could do this, it would really be great. So I think that I would say the harder you work, the luckier you get. You have to be in a lot of places, do a lot of things, and then pick the things that you really like to do, and then just keep doing them over and over again. The environment today with the internet is so much different than what we did when we started. I remember the, the first website we did, I had no idea what a website was, and, and I was lucky, again, to have a, a lady that we interfaced with who was what they call a... Uh, she was a digital secretary, if you would. I, I don't think I yep. ever met her face to face. Yeah. But we worked together until four o'clock in the morning, night after night after night, putting the putting the business together. Yeah. So that environment is so different than what it is now. I mean, now you could you can get online, make a click, and buy a website. Yeah. Yeah. You know, from my standpoint, I don't think I think the one thing that is always true for an entrepreneur is if you really are interested in and love what you do. I thought this morning when I knew that question was coming <laughs> about a plumber mm -hmm. who has developed a great plumbing business. It's a small mm -hmm. business. And he came out um, a couple of years ago and saw a problem we had. And he was anxious to fix it for me because he loved 
to dig the pipe up and yeah. fix the pipe, you know, and mm-hmm. in his business has flourished. You know, you can hardly get the guy. So I think that it's true. If you if you really like what you're doing uh, and just keep doing it over and over again, enjoy providing the service. I think that that's one key. And I think you hear that over and over again, though, from people. Definitely. Yeah. Attitude is everything. And I think across the board, you have to love what you're doing and stay true to yourself and definitely have a great attitude. And that will help you flourish as you move forward. We've heard that a lot. (laughs) So in this uh, in this conversation, you've mentioned a lot of, you know, relationships that you have with industry experts, athletes, etc. For those that are maybe not as prominent, but still invested in the industry and wanting to have the best athletes that they can, how can they get involved in having a voice to advocate for nutraceuticals that, you know, might help their particular situation? Is that even an option? Is there a way for, you know, do they just pick up the phone and call Jeff? I'm not advocating that, but is there a, a, a way for them to say, well, yeah, I think this might really help my horse and I would love to be able to share that with somebody. I love young riders. Mm-hmm. I, I just... I learned so much. I ca- I'm not going to name riders now that we are interfacing with. We have sponsored and taken part in. Uh, I remember when uh, when I look back, uh, the most fun I have, for example, when we were sponsoring Daniel Blumen when he was 19 years old, right. and he jumps up and wins the biggest Grand Prix of the season in Wellington. Uh, we put an ad in uh, the magazine, and 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 the ad simply stated, "When Daniel Blumen won, whatever Grand Prix it was, everybody was surprised, but we weren't." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was the ad that we, my marketer, designed and put in that, and and that's the truth. I mean, we watched so many really young, viable, talented people come up, and we have tried to assist them. We tried to be part of their careers because. This is a moment now where we're seeing a lot of the great riders retire and the new great ones, here they are. And we love, we love being part of that. Yes, I always welcome, you know, it's funny. I take maybe 20 phone calls a day, some of them business calls internally, but a lot of them from people that will call me and say, you know, we're getting ready to go here, there. And what would you recommend? It's quite an honor for me to, to be able to be part of that game. You know, it's, it's something that, at this point in my life, I just really treasure. Yeah, we do get to uh, the what's in your why and why segment. But before we do that, I would like uh, to give everybody an opportunity to learn more and to do their own research if they want to. They can do that by going to perfectproductseq.com. And now we've come to what some would call the very best part of the show, our segment appropriately named What's and Why's. It's where we get to ask our guests some questions that inquiring minds want to know. So without further ado, I bring you the what's and why's for your listening pleasure. Who do you look up to and why? So again, seeing those questions beforehand, I've thought it through. And there are two people that I would really uh, illuminate, if you would. One is the sales manager that hired me the first time that a jazz musician with a college education said he wanted to be a surgical salesman, right? (laughs) Right. And I worked for this gentleman throughout my entire career. When he moved from one company to another, I went with him. 
And let me tell you the things that he taught me that I've kind of adopted. We worked for a company that was privately held. And I began to realize the difference between a privately held and a corporately held company. And keep your business close to you became an understanding that I had. In other words, the minute you give up to partners or stockholders, you lose control of how you take care of the employees internally. Does that make sense? Yes, sir. So that's one of the things I learned from him. Another was that if you find people who are valuable and good at what they do, try to let them do it. And I think the third thing is reward your valuable employees well. Treat them with respect. And uh, that was a guy by the name of Jeff Palmer, and he was a big influence on my life. And the other person I'm going to mention is somebody that we probably all know, and that's Ian Miller. And Ian Miller is a unique individual, and we've had the privilege of getting to know him and his family through the years, uh, first from a sponsorship standpoint, but then we've been lucky to have some dinners and visits with them through the years. Ian is unique, and I'll tell you what he taught me, that every time you have a loss, you just look in a different direction and move on. And I'm not talking about just a family or personal loss that we all know that Ian probably suffered. But, you know, losing a Grand Prix horse that's been your partner and has made you famous at some point has to be disarming. And, you know, you have to just suck it up and go on. Mm -hmm. And I've watched Ian through the years produce one great horse after another great horse with the determination and caring for his horses uh, true affection for every horse he rides. And I've developed a tremendous amount of respect for that. And it's funny now, even in retirement, some, you know, from the Grand Prix ring, I'll be in Wellington and I'll call him and ask him if we can go to dinner. And he'll say, well, yes, but I've got this lesson to give tomorrow <laughs> and I've got to go ride three more horses this afternoon and whatever. And I'll call you if I have a moment. He truly has not lost one bit of interest or one bit of energy. The more I get to know, the more I kind of want to be like him, you know. (laughs) Definitely. Being Captain Canada, I can resonate with everything you're saying, but obviously not having a personal relationship with Mr. Miller, that's interesting. (laughs) I have a tremendous amount of respect for him as well. From inside the family a bit, just because we've been privileged to be around them, you know, uh, Amy is a treasure and Jonathan is a treasure and Kelly is a treasure and those and that family is is so yeah that that's a guy that when I think of somebody to emulate I I think that 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 guy really you know Ian definitely is he's legend yeah and earned it definitely earned it every step of the way (laughs) yeah absolutely yes sir so what's something that brings you joy and why I was talking to somebody this morning about seven o'clock a consultant I told her, I said, you know, not the best moment, but one of the best moments of my day probably is night check. There's just a, a great feeling I get when I walk through my barn, and and uh, now it's a smaller barn than it ever was before. We only have four horses, but I get a chance to hear them, touch them, you know, go in and visit with each one of them. It's still all about the horses for me, and there's nothing that, that 
gives me more pleasure than uh, 11 o'clock at night, making sure all is well and, and uh, looking forward to see him again in the morning. Yeah. When you look back through your life, what decision brings you the most happiness and why? Oh, I'm such a happy guy. I can't, I can't even think of it. You know, probably the, and this is going to sound a little, I don't know if you hear it from everybody, but, um, you know, I married a woman in 83 that has provided me with so much perspective, and, uh, whom I admire so much every day. Tremendous, obviously tremendous intellect, but great spirit, never has had a bad day in her life. We share the passion, the same passion. So I'd say the best, the best decision I ever made was to, um, try, try to enlist her in my life, huh? So, <laughs> so then I move on to what's something that you feel people get wrong about you and why? You know, I think, and I'm going to probably say that during this interview, you've probably formed an opinion about me. I mean, everybody experiences another person and begins to, develop some perspective of them. And I am pretty much what you see. I think the thing about me that I recognize and I have to honor, if you would, is that I don't wear well with people over a long period of time because I'm really intense. You've all been around that sales guy that thinks so much of his product that every time he sees you, he wants to tell you how great it is, right? Mm -hmm. So at horse shows, I know I'm being too intense when People see me coming and turn around and walk the other, <laughs> other way. Uh, but, you know, I think that if you ask anybody who knows me, they're going to tell you that uh, kind of what I am and who I am. And I don't I don't think there's I leave a lot of room for for misinterpretation. So I that answer, I guess, would be to each their own. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I just I, I don't think I want to defend anything about me by saying. You know, I appear to be this, but I'm really that. Nope, here I am. This is kind of what I am, you know. Certainly. So who would you like to hear on What's Your Why as a guest and why? I'm going to give you the cheap answer. Go. I think if yeah. you could get Ian to spend some time with you, yeah, he could give you such a meaningful interview. Yeah, He's a great speaker, great, great thinker, understands. He, he understands the industry and where it's been and where it's going so well. Um, I would just kind of advance that thought for you. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Well, if you have any, uh, any of your two cents can make it into his ears, then I would definitely appreciate that. I think in Canada, who else would you want in the horse world? Ian, he is legend. Definitely yeah, legend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And quite a sage. Yes, very much so. He's, he's quite a sage. The so. thing I always find so intriguing about him is he's taken so many young athletes under his wing and taught them how to be not only good at what they do, but taught them how to be good horsemen and also be great representatives of the sport. You know, it's really funny. If you talk about any well-known horseman, everybody has an opinion. Yes. You know, they're this, they're that, you know, mm -hmm. it's probably earned to say it's a tough business is an understatement, yeah. right? I yes. mean, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a tough business. And also, you'll never be that 
you'll never be Ian again. Right. The opportunities aren't there to be Ian anymore. You know, yep. it, it's just like my business. I, I have a manufacturer that we do have depended on for 16 years. And to tell you the kind of guy he is, we don't even have a contract. That's amazing. But he's the most honorable, decent guy. The only price increases I see are the ones that he needs, you know, that are fair. And he looked at me one day and he said, you know, if you tried to start this business now, you could never make it happen. Because the moment is different. Yes. So yeah. to, to, to try to advise an entrepreneur from a 78-year-old guy that's sitting with money in the bank and a, and a business that started in 2005, how to be successful in 22? Mm-hmm. It's almost presumptuous, you know. It's a different because, game. Yeah, because it's a, you know, how do you advise a, a, a rider how to start a business when hay down here is, you know, even local hay is $12 a bale, you know. You buy hay in Florida, it's $40 a bale. It's crazy. How, how do you tell them, you know, how to be successful in that business? I just think that it's, the words are mount up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Know, throw a leg over and go on, so. Definitely. Well, you've been a great discovery for me. I'm Thank so you. glad to have met you. Thank you. You as well. And uh, I appreciate your time, your effort, and your energy. I really do. Do you like how you're hearing today's episode? I don't mean how you're listening to it, but how you're hearing it. Whether you're driving in your car or listening on some pods, there's one thing that I'm certain of, that this podcast has been produced with the most enjoyable hearing experience possible. For those of you that know me, you know that these skills are most certainly not in my repertoire. So for that, What's Your Why has Twisted Spur Media Solutions to thank. Twisted Spur is an all-encompassing solution-based media company that's everything magic. Offering digital solutions in podcast and audiobook editing and production, online course and membership design and development, in addition to content creation, online paid advertising management, and project planning, it's a one-stop shop of mad skills that Heather and her team bring to every project they work on. I can and will speak from personal experience when I say that Heather is a true advocate for quality, and you won't find a better solution for your digital project than Team Twisted Spur. If you like what you hear or even just want to nose around, check them out at twistedspurmedia.com, where the process is easy and the solution is even better. I'd like to thank everyone for joining us for this episode of What's Your Why? our listeners, guests, and our sponsors too. It's our hope that you enjoyed your time with us and possibly gained some new perspective as well. It's said that we can learn something new every day if we just listen, and that knowledge has a beginning, but no end. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, be safe, be well, and remember, always leave people better than you found them. A Twisted Spur Media Production.